Well, there's a little boy who was over at his grandmother's having a piece of pie. And he polished that off, and his grandmother looked over at the empty plate and said, Tommy, would you like another piece of pie? The little boy sighed and said, no, thank you. His grandmother said, are you feeling okay? You've never turned down a second piece of pie before. Are you suffering from a loss of appetite? And he said, no, it's politeness I'm suffering from because mom told me I had to say no. (laughs) As we turn in our Bible today to 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to look at a man by the name of Gehazi. And we're going to see that he was not suffering from politeness. In fact, Gehazi's problem is one that many of us struggle with where he was suffering from a desire to have more than he already had. This is the second part of the story that we began last week, so we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. And I want to remind you of what happened last time. We saw that in the first part of 2 Kings 5, there was a man by the name of Naaman, and he was a powerful man. He was the commander of the army of Aram, an enemy nation of Israel at the time. He uh, had a problem called leprosy, and he heard that there was a God in Israel who could heal him from a little girl that he had taken captive in a, in a raid. And so he comes with a letter of introduction from the king of Aram, uh, asking that this man be healed of his leprosy because he was so valuable to the kingdom of, of Aram. And you remember he brought gifts galore. He had chariots full of wealth. There were silver and gold and garments. And as he came, we saw that Naaman had a bigger problem than just the leprosy he was suffering from. His biggest problem was a root issue of pride in his life. And so as God brought healing to this man, it was not just with the surface problem of leprosy, but the deeper one of pride. And Naaman found that God's grace cannot be bought or earned and said it was a free gift that was to be humbly received. And so as he returns to Israel, this is where we pick up from Israel to Aram. This is where we pick up today. He's told by Elisha the prophet, go in peace. Now those words were were very important because uh, not only was it a blessing, but it was also a, 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 a seal of protection over him. Because remember, Aram and Israel were at war with each other. And so what was happening is here's the four-star general of the enemy army deep inside Israel territory. And there were many people who would like to capture or kill him. Now, he was a a mighty warrior. He had an army with him. But because he was so deep inside Israel, the numbers could have overwhelmed him and he could have been captured or killed. And so as Naaman prepares to go, Elisha sends him with God's protection as he says, go in peace. Now, as he leaves, we see that not everyone shares his sentiment because as he sends Naaman away in peace and with all that he has, this is what 2 Kings 5.20 tells us. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, by by not receiving from him his hands what he brought. I want you to feel the contempt here for a moment as Gehazi speaks these words. He says this Gentile, he's an Aramean, this, this soldier, this enemy of the nation of Israel, and my master has spared him. Now, Gehazi's no dummy. He knows that if they were to capture or kill Naaman, that the all-out war would break out. And as we talked about last time, Israel would lose because they couldn't even keep the cross-border raids from happening. So as Naaman needs to leave, Gehazi says he he has to go home. But does he really have to go home with everything he brought, all these riches? 
As we saw in 2 Kings 5.2, a common practice of war was to loot your enemy. This is where the servant girl was captured. Loot would be carried back from Israel to Aram. So Gehazi says, why does he have to go back with all the wealth he came with? They can just leave it here. And it'll be a win-win. We get the stuff that they sent anyway. Remember, the king said, this is payment for your healing. And uh, so he goes home and, and, and we get the wealth from it. He's thinking, naming God what he wanted, so why can't we? Now, again, I want you to enter these stories as we read them. So as you put yourself there, uh, just think about what's happening. Naaman is his commander. He's been healed. We saw he was grateful. He comes back to Elisha. He's, his leprosy is gone, and, and he wants to give the wealth he brought. So as they come back to the, to the shack where Elisha and the prophets are living, he gives the command. He says, loosen the ropes. Unload the silver and the gold. And if you're sitting there watching it, you're, you're looking at all this stuff that's about to be unloaded. There's 10 talents of silver. You remember what that was worth? That was 200 years worth of wages. 200 years worth of paychecks that were about to be put on the ground. There were, were 6,000 shekels of gold. That was 150 pounds of gold. Enough money to put anybody on the Forbes uh, list of the most wealthy people in the world. And there were 10 changes of clothes. Garments, as we saw last time, were extremely valuable. Most people just owned one set of clothing. And this was designer label stuff. This was from one king to another. And as, as this command is given, Elisha says, stop. We won't take anything. And Naaman says, no, 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 I insist. I, I know it's a free gift, but this, this is a thank you. This is, this is for you. Take it. And, and Elisha says, God's grace is a gift to you. It requires no payment. So go in peace and take every piece of silver and gold, every piece of clothing with you. And, and as Elijah says this, Gehazi is sitting there, mouth wide open, saying, No. He, he wants to turn to, to Elisha and say, you're the prophet. Can't you see this is payday? I mean, think of all we could do with this, Elisha. If you look at 2 Kings 6.1, there it talks about the home they're in. It says it was too small for all the people living there. And in 2 Kings 6.5, it says they had to go and borrow an axe as they began the renovation project to expand this little shack of a house. They didn't even have the tools, and they had to go borrow an axe to cut down a tree to begin to mill the lumber. And he's saying, Elisha, we can pay for the whole project. We, we can hire the best architect and builders. They can come in and give us everything we need. They, and, and there will be so much money left over. We can send people on mission trips. We can buy copies of the word of God. I mean, God, think, think God's provided this. Think of all the work of God that could be done. And, and Elijah just says, no, take nothing. It'd be like you walking out of the doors and there's a Brinks armored truck sitting there with the doors wide open. And bags and bags of money piled up, and they're standing there saying, take whatever you want. No, don't leave yet. It's not there. (laughs) And as you're looking at these open doors, reaching in for a bag of money, Elisha says, close the doors and take everything with you. And, And Elisha says this, and Gehazi, before he can count the money, he watches it head over the hill back to Aram. As he watches these riches go over the hill, he decides to go and get some of it, as you can see in verse 20, because he says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I will take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. 
So Gehazi doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. He, you know, the entourage leaves, this motorcade pulls out, all the chariots, horses, the wagons loaded with the stuff. And he hangs around for a little while. Everybody goes back to what they were doing. And then Gehazi slips out over the hill. Verse 21 says, when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him. And he said, is all well? This is, this is Naaman, the, the commander. And he's, he's on these back roads. They're in their chariots. They're in their armor. They're heading home. They know that there are people around. And, and they see up on the hillside this guy kind of shadowing the convoy. And he's running along the hilltops. He disappears, pops back out. He's coming closer and closer. And so the, these soldiers are going, what is going on? And they're watching this guy, and as he comes down the hill to intercept their convoy, you can see Naaman giving the command. They wheel the chariots around. They get in battle formation. They're ready for an attack. And then Naaman notices who this guy is. It's Gehazi. And he's seen this guy before. And as he comes running up, he's thinking, we just left the the camp. Something has happened. They said everything was fine, but maybe there's been an attack. Maybe now is the time to earn my healing. Now is the time I'm going to go back. So he steps down out of the chariot, hand on his sword, ready for battle. And Gehazi comes running up and Naaman says, what's going on? And you can see him. (gasps) Just a minute. And this guy's been running like a little marathon over the hills, right? And Naaman's going, you know, what's going on? Is it time to fight? And and he stands up, catches his breath, and he says in verse 22, All is well. My master has sent me. Now, if you write in your Bible, those are some great words to underline. My master has sent me. How many times have those words described how Gehazi had been sent by his master before? With a message from God, with a mission from God. As you read through the book of 2 Kings, it says in 429, Then Elisha said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer him. And lay my staff on the lad's face. This is describing where word comes. There's a a boy that that has died, and and Gehazi, the right-hand man to Elisha, is told, take this, run, gird up your loins. Men in that day would wear tunics, so you would gather this up and you would tuck it in your belt. Ladies know what it's like to try to run in a dress. You trip and fall. And so he's told, gird up your loins, run unhindered, and and go. You have a mission. Don't stop. Don't get distracted. Get there and, and deliver this. Gehazi had probably been the one who had run earlier. In 2 Kings 5, you'll remember, Naaman first went to the palace. And we saw how the king of Israel was shaking in his shoes when he was told, you know, that this man needs to be healed of leprosy. And he says, am I God that I can heal anyone? And, And Elisha had sent a servant, a messenger to the palace to say, bring the guy out here. So he knows that there is a God in Israel. There is a prophet who can do God's work. Gehazi is known by Naaman. They've seen each other. He was probably the guy in the palace who said, come with me. And then you remember when he gets to the, to the home, Elisha didn't come out. Naaman got furious because he expected Elijah to come out, wave his hand over him, pronounce him healed, and instead a servant came out. Who do you think the guy was? I think it was Gehazi who stood there, shaking in his shoes as this 
general was ranting and raving after he's been told to go jump in a river to be healed. Gehazi's been used to running for his master. But this time it's not a message from God. This time it's not a mission of God. His master has become gold instead of God. And so as he says, my master has sent me, that's what he's running after. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus Christ told us, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon or money. It's not God that he's running for. It wasn't Elijah who sent him here. It was his greed. He says in verse 22, My master has sent me saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. There was a, an American country, uh, company that was working down in South America in the jungle area, and they put in a plant and they hired local laborers, and, and they would pay them in, uh, every two weeks in cash. For the work they had done. Now, this was an agrarian society. This was a barter economy. So most of the people who worked in the plant had never seen uh, more than a, a few dollars in their life. And suddenly they had handfuls of money, more money than they had ever seen in their life. And they didn't know what to do with it. So after the first paycheck or two, many of these workers would just quit. They're like, we have all the money we'll ever need the rest of our life. And the company was spending all this time and money to train workers and get them in. And so they said, we've got to solve this problem. And the way they fixed it is they got a hold of a, a couple of cases of the old Sears catalogs. Some of you remember those. You know, with all the pictures, you would look through and circle what you wanted. And, and as they gave these catalogs out, suddenly the, the locals saw all these unknown riches that they now wanted. And nobody quit anymore because they were now working for all the stuff that they didn't even know they had needed before. Anybody here had that experience? <laughs> this was Gehazi. Here's a guy who had been happy to serve God. Here's a guy who had been content serving God until suddenly he saw riches he had never seen before. Gold and silver and garments piled up in the back of the chariot. And as he watched this wealth disappear over the hill, his heart went with it. And he found himself running after it. How many this morning are struggling with something like that? Did your friend show you a new uh, suit or set of clothes that they bought? And you're suddenly looking at your own going, I think I need to update my wardrobe. Did a, a classmate or a neighbor pull into the space next to you in a new car and suddenly the one you have just doesn't look like it's good enough anymore? Did you hear about a friend who is buying a house or moving to a bigger, better apartment and suddenly the place you're living just doesn't seem adequate anymore? This is what happens. It happens if we've lost sight of what God says we need. Because in 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 9, what God tells us is, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. As you sit here this morning, what are you running after today? Is it power? 
a new position, a bigger paycheck. I mean, what is it you're pursuing? Now, those things in and of themselves are okay. God doesn't say you have to be dirt poor. God says, you know, that that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor. He's given us those things to enjoy. But as you think about what you're pursuing, why? Are you unhappy with your husband or do you think you need a new wife? Are you unhappy with the home in which you live, the car, the clothes that you have because suddenly you've seen something that somebody else has? Whatever it is you're running after this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. If what you're seeking would help you grow closer to God, or will it get in the way of your walk with God? What you're seeking this morning, what you're grabbing after, will it bring you closer to God and deepen your walk with him, or will it be something that gets in your way? Of your walk with God. As you think about what you're pursuing, Mark 8.36 warns us, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You see, Gehazi lost sight of what was really important. He started running after goods instead of God. You know, as I'm talking about the greed of Gehazi here, I want to be fair to him. Because I want you to think about what he asked for. Remember the riches that are there. There's 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing. And what did he ask for? He, he doesn't ask for all the stuff. He doesn't even ask for the gold. He says one talent of silver and two changes of clothes. A talent of silver, one talent, was the equivalent of 20 years worth of work for the average person. So that was essentially the payment for a career. A lifetime of work. And here you've got Gehazi, a guy who has served God his whole life. And and what he's saying is, I don't have anything to show for it. I don't have a home of my own. I'm living in this small cramped place with a bunch of other, you know, prophets. We don't even have enough beds for everybody. He says, I have no retirement account. I have no pension coming. I have nothing. He Was it greed or just fair pay? I just, I just want... I just want my pension. I just want enough money to cover me for life. And when it comes to his clothes, I mean, we're not told about how threadbare they were. They may have been on their last, you know, threads about to fall off his body. And he's saying, I just want to replace my clothes. And while I'm at it, could it be okay to have an extra set in the closet so when I'm washing this one, I have something to change into? I mean, think about your closet or drawers at home. How many of you had to dig through 10, 12, 20, 30, 40 uh, sets of clothes in order to decide what to wear today? Anybody here just have one set of clothes? That's Gehazi. So as we talk about the, the greed of Gehazi here, it wasn't, it wasn't extreme. All he wanted was fair pay for the work he had done. And, and, and he's thinking, what's it going to hurt? We're taking it from the enemy, these Arameans, these people who are looting Israel. Um, they came and wanted to leave it all here anyway. I'm, it's a win-win situation. You know, it'd be like Bill Gates walking in here this morning and, and you walking up to Bill Gates and saying, could you give me a million dollars? You know, Bill Gates could give every single one of us in here this morning a million dollars and still be a billionaire many times over. It wouldn't even touch his wealth. 
It wouldn't hurt him at all to give this. It wasn't going to hurt the king of Aram to give these things. Now, if you're dreaming right now about what you'd do with those riches, uh, Bill Gates isn't here this morning, uh, at least not that I've seen. And, and as you think in terms of that wealth that you think would be life-changing to you, I want you to think about what your life is really like right now. Because the reality is, even the poorest of the poor that are among us this morning are richer than the richest of most of the world. Have you ever thought about that? The average person in the world today lives on less than two U.S. dollars a day. Think about how much money you make. And if you think your home or your apartment is too small, it's really a palace in comparison to what most of the world lives in. And if you're grumbling about the car that you drive, most of the world walks or at best has a bicycle. So as we think about the condition we're in, as we think about what we've been blessed with, remember God's standard in 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Now I know there are times people fall on hard times here at Wayside. We have a ministry here called the agape ministry. We talked about the Greek word agape back at Easter being this word for love that means it's all giving, self-sacrificing love. And we have a ministry here at Wayside called the agape ministry. And if you're not aware of it, it's for those who are in financial need. And it is modeled after the book of Acts where it says those who had sold what they had and shared with those who were in need. And so for people who are in need, we have a ministry here to come alongside families and to help them. So if you're somebody who's lost your job, if you're somebody who's struggling and you're saying, I don't know how we're going to put food on the table, how we're going to pay the light bill, I want you to come and talk to me after the service and I'll connect you with the Agape Committee. It's a small confidential committee of men and women in our church who look at the need and assess it and come alongside to help families in need. There are a number of families helped every month here at Wayside. We have a food pantry here as well. So if you have a need, we want to hear from you because we want to come alongside you as brothers and sisters in Christ and do what God has asked us to do. But the reality is most of us don't have so much of a need as agreed. We, we look at stuff and we want a little bit more than we have, and, and the reality is we don't necessarily need it. There's a magazine called Leadership. It's a, it's a Christian publication for those who are in ministry, predominantly read leadership magazine. And in it, there was a pastor who was lamenting how little money he had to live on and provide for his family from his ministry salary. And so he was writing this article about that. And as he brought the article to a close, he summed it up this way. He said, the truth of the matter is I can live within my means, whatever my income level. By the standards I set and the choices I make, I determine many of my needs in quotations. From cars to food, I often assume I must have a certain level of quality or comfort that has little to do with my true needs. I sometimes wonder whether Elijah, Paul, or Christian workers in China, what they would really think about my lean living. As you think in terms of how lean it is you're living, again, go back and think about what we just talked about. Your car, your clothes, the place you live and what you really already have. When it comes to clothing, Gehazi just wanted two sets. How many do you have this morning? Verse 23 tells us, And Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. 
And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothes. And he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. Remember, when Gehazi comes running up, he says, two guys have shown up. And we need two sets of clothes and one talent of silver to split among them. And, and Naaman is going, he's, he's just generous. He's like, man, I wanna, this is great that I can give something to God's work. So here, take two sets of clothing. And don't take one and split it. Take two. Now, a talent was not only the equivalent of 20 years' worth of wages. It was also a weight of measure that equaled 75 pounds. So what Gehazi suddenly has is 150 pounds of silver that he's got to carry back. And as he's trying to get this 150 pounds on his back, Naaman goes, let me get two guys to help you out. And they bring over a pole, they put it on there. You know, you've seen like the grapes that were carried out of Israel by the spies. And these guys are walking along carrying these bags of money. Gehazi's got the two garment bags over his back. And you know his head's on a swivel, right? He's walking along going, who is going to see this? You know, now there's this little mini procession going up the road. And Gehazi is sweating it big time, wondering who is going to see this and report back. He gets to a place where he knows he can hide the stuff that's close enough maybe to camp. And he says to the servants, okay, this is great. You guys stop right here in verse 24. He says, it says, he sends them away. As the servants disappear from sight to catch up with the caravan going back to Aram, Gehazi hides the stuff and he thinks he's pulled it off until we get to verse 25. But he went in and he stood before his master. And Elijah said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said to him, "Uh, your servant went nowhere. (laughs) You know, he disappeared from camp for a little while. People were wondering, where's Roger? Has anybody seen Roger? I don't know. Well, suddenly, you know, he gets back into camp. They go, Elisha's looking for you. He comes running in. Here I am. What do you need? Where have you been? Nowhere. (laughs) As I read that, I thought about a video I saw from America's Funniest Videos once. It showed this a chocolate cake that was on this counter. Well, it used to be a chocolate cake. It had kind of been picked over. There were, you know, big hand scoops out of it. And this, this mom is behind this camera, and she zooms in on this cake that's been destroyed. And as you, you're looking at it, she says to her, you don't see the kid yet, but you hear her say, uh, son, did you, did you eat any of the cake? And he goes, no, mommy, I don't know what happened to the cake. Well, then she kind of pans over to her son. And as she does, the kid's standing there covered in chocolate, right? He's looking up at her. His his face is gotted. It's on his hands, his clothes. And she says, are you sure you didn't eat any cake? No, mommy. I don't know what happened to the cake, right? Well, this is Gehazi. He's standing there in front of Elijah. Now, he's, he's not a dummy. He's not there in his new set of clothes, jingling silver in his pocket, going... What are you talking about as he's covered in chocolate? But what he did forget is who he was talking to, right? Elisha's a prophet. You know what prophets do? God reveals things to them. Uh, And we see in verse 26, Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money? to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. He says, Gehazi, look, I know. We'd all like that little ranch in the hill country. 
We'd all like that little, you know, place, the, the little boat to go down to Port A and catch some reds with. We'd all like to have, you know, some things. But he says, it's not time. There was a missionary by the name of Henry C. Morrison, and he had served in Africa for his entire life. And, and Morrison had been there uh, during a time when tuberculosis, they, they didn't really know how to treat the disease, and he contracted this, and he was, he was dying. And they told him, they said, there's nothing we can do for you. You need to leave the field. You need to go home, back to America, to die. And he and his wife had served in Africa for more than 40 years. That was their home. But they were being sent back to America. And they packed up what they had, and they got on a ship, and they were traveling by boat back to America. And it just so happened that Teddy Roosevelt was on that same ship. President Roosevelt had been in Africa on a safari. He had been there, and he was returning on the same boat. Now, Henry never saw Roosevelt because he was so sick he spent the entire journey down in, in his berth. And as they got to the port and they were pulling in, his wife said to him, you know, it's been over 40 years since we've seen America. Why don't we go up on the deck? And he scraped together what little strength he had, and they struggled to get up onto the, the deck. And as he was up there, he saw the docks were lined with thousands and thousands of people who were cheering. They were there to welcome Roosevelt home. And Morrison says, he wrote this in his journal. He says, I was overwhelmed by bitterness. I'd given my life to serve God, and there was not one person there to welcome me home. But here were thousands welcoming home Roosevelt from a trip where he had been shooting elephants. Morrison says, as I angrily stood there, suddenly the heavens opened. And I saw a crowd of saints and angels that could not be counted. And I heard a voice that said to me, Henry, you're not home yet. Henry, you're not home yet. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may I remind you that we're not home yet? Philippians tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. This is not home. We're just passing through. And I get there are times that you look around at friends or family or other people and you go, why do they have so much? They're they're doing it the world's way and they have wealth and power and position and places to to go to. And and I'm serving God and and I just don't seem to have anything. And, And we do as Gehazi did as Christians and we forget we're not home yet. You know, if you're worried about God not seeing or rewarding you for your work, listen to the words of Hebrews 6.10. It says, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, and having ministered and then still ministering to the saints. When we see what the world offers, I know it's hard sometimes to wait and say, I want that. And what God is telling us is, I see you. I see your work. And I want you to know that there are rewards waiting for you in heaven, eternal rewards that will not pass away. Everything in this world is going to burn up one day. And what God says is, I have rewards for you. And not only is God trying to help us understand what is of true value, but he's also saying, there are things I'm saving you from. You know, as we're looking at this story of Gehazi, he was grabbing for what Naaman had. And as you look at the next verse, he got it. 
He ended up getting what Naaman had because verse 27 says, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper, as white as snow. I don't want you to miss the ironic climax to this story here. Do you remember we saw last time that Naaman came as a leper and he left as a servant of God? And Gehazi started as a servant of God and he leaves as a leper. He grabbed for what the world offered and he got it. He got a little bit of loose change and a leprous curse. What what are you grabbing for this morning? As you think about the master of your life, what is it? Is it goods? Is it gold? Or is it God? Now again, those things are not evil and bad. Ecclesiastes tells us this is your reward in life, to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But if that's what you're pursuing, if that's what your life is about, you've missed it, brothers and sisters in Christ. As you think about what you're pursuing and where God is in your priorities, you can go home this afternoon and know immediately what's important to you. Look at your calendar and your checkbook. Now, your checkbook may be electronic and online now, but if you look at where you're spending your money and spending your time, that will tell you what is most important in your life because that's where you're investing your life. And as you look at what you're, you're investing in, how does God compare with the amount of time or money you're spending on sports? or school, or landscaping in your lawn, or other, some other leisure activity? Do you put as much time into pursuing your relationship with God as you do to those other things? As we're talking about these things, I want to end with, with a final illustration here, giving you one more picture to think about. There was a little girl who went with her mom to one of these country stores. This is back in the days of uh, the wagons, you know, when the West was still being settled. And you would come into town, you'd go to the general store, and you'd stock up on all your supplies, and you'd take them out. And so you'd usually have this big shopping day. And as this mom and and this little girl were there, the, the wagon was being loaded, and they bought a lot of stuff. So as they're checking out, the clerk behind the counter says to the little girl, uh, why don't you take some candy for free? And, you know, you've seen those pictures of all the candy jars lining the front counter. And so the, the little girl's, you know, sitting there staring up at all this candy. And, and instead she kind of steps back behind her mom and kind of grabs onto her leg. And, and this, the clerk goes, kind of peers around the, the mom to the little girl and says, Honey, don't, don't you like candy? And she pokes her head out, smiles and nods, and then gets back behind her mom again. And so the clerk says, oh, honey, come here. Open up your bag. And so she comes out, and he takes the lid off a jar, and he reaches in, and he grabs this huge overflowing handful, and he drops it into her bag. The little girl says, thank you. And then they go out, and they get in the wagon. And, and the mom is sitting there on the buckboard with her daughter, and she goes, honey, what was that about? You've, you've never been shy like that before. Why, why didn't you take the candy when the, when the man offered it to you? And the little girl just said to her mom, mom, his hand is bigger than mine. <laughs> Can I remind you this morning that God's hand is bigger than ours? And if, if you're here grabbing on to the stuff of the world, saying, this is mine, this is what I want, when your hands are like this, it's really hard for God to put anything in them. 
And if we learn nothing else from Gehazi this morning, we need to remember that God's hands are bigger than ours. Elisha told him, now is not the time to get all this stuff in the world. And we need to remember that that is not, we're just passing through. Gehazi forgot that God's hand was bigger than his, and he ended up with so little when God had so much to give him. And and if you're worried this morning that God is not going to give you what you deserve, may I tell you something? We've already seen that Hebrews tells us God is not so unjust so as to forget your work. He will give you your rewards. But if you're saying, I want everything that I deserve, you don't. Because as we come to the communion table now, we're reminded that we don't want what we deserve. As we come to the communion table, we're reminded of God's great love and mercy for us. That if we were to get what we truly deserve from God, because we're all sinners, we owe a penalty of sin called death. And we don't want what we deserve. What we want is God's grace and his mercy. And as we talk about his hands, his hands were nailed to a cross one day as Jesus Christ, the God-man, came. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to pay the penalty of sin that we owe called death. As we come to the communion table today, we are reminded of his great grace to us, where he willingly went there and he allowed himself to be crucified, to die, to pay the penalty of death that you and I owed for our sins. And in a moment, we're going to pass the elements, a piece of bread, and a cup. And as these are passed, the bread and the cup will be together. You'll take both cups at once and then you'll separate them and you'll hold on to them. The cup has the bread. The bread that represents who Jesus was. The Bible calls him the bread of life. And he came to give his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty of death that I and you owe for our sins. And the cup represents his blood that was shed to wash away our sins. I'm going to ask that you take and hold these, and we'll take them together in a moment. But if you're here and you've never received God's gift of grace to you, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, I want you to remember this morning, as Naaman found last week, as we saw that God's gift is by grace alone. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's given to be freely received. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. Romans six twenty three tells us the wages of sin is death. This is what we earned was death, but then it goes on to say, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He gave us his life to wash away our sins, to welcome us as sons and daughters into the family. John 1.12 tells us, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I invite you to do so today. To welcome him into your heart, to say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I recognize I owe a penalty, a penalty of death. And today I receive your gift in my place. And if you would like to do that, then take the bread and the juice, hold them, and say, God, today... I accept your death in my place, your payment for my sins, and you'll be welcomed into the family. For the rest of us who know Jesus already, 
This is a time for us to thank him for his gift of grace. So take and hold the elements. Use this time to confess any unconfessed sin in your life. And we'll take these elements together in a moment. Will you serve us, please? So in a moment as we take these elements and you'll have the cups left because this is the first Sunday with the new chairs with communion. If you're in a row where you don't see a seat back in front of you, you'll notice there are little holders next to you in the front rows. That's where you'll put your cups. If you're in the back, those plastic areas where you see the Bible and cards, you'll see communion cup holders there. You'll place your empty uh, cups there. So we have a piece of bread, a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the God-man who took on flesh and blood. And the reason he did that was because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. There had to be a perfect and permanent sacrifice given to take care of the penalty of death that you and I owed for our sins. So God took on flesh and blood. He humbled himself, becoming a part of the creation, walking among us in the muck and the mire and the disease of the world, the leprosy and the blindness and the the people who were crippled and, and those who were cast out. And he brought healing, not just to the surface issues of leprosy or physical deformity, but to the inward deformity of our hearts that were diseased by sin. And he took it away as he gave his life, allowing himself to become the sacrifice for you and me. So this represents our Savior, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, eaten in remembrance of him. And this is a cup of juice. And yet what it represents is so much more precious. Peter tells us that this is the precious blood of the Lamb. The one, as I already quoted from Hebrews, that tells us, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But there were many, many sacrifices offered in the temple over the years, and none of them could remove the sin. They were simply a, a minimum payment to keep the account current. But when Jesus Christ came, as John the Baptist saw him, he said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This represents our Savior, Jesus Christ, who washed away your sins and mine. Drink it in remembrance of him. You join me as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your gift of grace. Grace that continues to overflow, not just in the ultimate gift of eternal life, but, Lord, just in the day-to-day ways you enable and give to us life. Every breath, every heartbeat is a gift from you. And, Father, as long as we have breath in our lungs, we have a message that we can share, a message of grace, of what you've done to save us and give to us. So as we leave today, would we be those who carry the message of who you are and what you did for us, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we thank you and pray. Amen.